I don't know about you, but some things in life are just hard to believe, aren't they? Like, I mean, it's hard to believe that when Christian Leitner let go of that ball, it went in, right? That's just, it's it's still painful all these years later. For some of you, right, I, I remember hearing my father tell the story of just, it seemed impossible that a man would be on the moon, and yet there they were in 1969 watching a man by the name of Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Some things are just hard to believe, aren't they? Today, I think we come to a question that is hard to believe, hard to understand. And I think it's one that maybe we all deal with at times and ask this question. How does Jesus treat the worst of sinners? How does God treat the worst of sinners? If you remember back about three weeks ago, we were in the story here in Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. The Canaanite woman, she was the outsider of outsiders, so to speak, right? And, and, and she comes and she knocks before Jesus and he just keeps ignoring her, right? It's kind of like a stressful text, being honest. And, and, and we, we just began to walk with Jesus and hear him talk with her finally and, and tell her that it's not right to take the children's food and, and give it to the dogs. And she says, but yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And he looks at her and says, woman, great is your faith. And may it be done as you wish. And her daughter, who had been demon-possessed, was healed instantly. I bring that up because I think Matthew's doing something major in the midst of his gospel here. We've come to the 15th chapter, and for, for 14 chapters, predominantly all we've seen is the Jewish people. And now there's a step toward the outsiders. A step toward gentile territory toward the unclean and so what the question i think we must all ask and wonder today is was this woman an exception or is god actually going to open the door to unclean sinners is he going to welcome people that are not jewish is he actually going to open and welcome them to the table right i mean because we really wonder is he going to do this we we might wonder too i mean like Well, is that all that people like that get? They just get the scraps? Like, are Gentiles destined to be at the back of the line forever? Are the worst of sinners destined to always be at the back of the line, just kind of begging for whatever God might give them after he's taken care of everybody else? I think it's an important question to ask. How will God treat the worst of sinners? Because some of you in this room have some things in your past. You have some lifestyle choices, some actions things that have happened, some blemishes on your resume, so to speak. And you have to wonder, how will God treat somebody like me? Does he really care? Does he love me? And I think, listen, this truth goes not only just beyond asking that, no matter what your past is, the the reality is that's a good question for all of us. Because the truth is all of us here are sinners. No matter if you feel like, man, I'm not a bad sinner as so-and-so that's sitting next to me or the person I know from work, the reality is we are all sinners in rebellion against God. And because of that, God is rightful in His judgment. And He is a good and righteous God. And He will judge all sin. So the question is, how does Jesus treat the worst of sinners really is a question that we need to ask. Why? Because it's a question we all deserve to know the answer to. Why? Because we are all sinners. So we must ask this question today. And the the reality is this text maybe serves as a warning that our upbringing or even maybe our ongoing religious practice doesn't make us more fit for the kingdom than others. In fact, what this text shows us is that Jesus' authority and compassion compel us to run to Him 
rather than run away from him. Hear that again. Today's text will show us that Jesus' authority and compassion compel us to run to him rather than running away from him. So let's look today, Matthew 15, verses 29 to 39, asking that question, how does Jesus treat the worst of sinners? Look what we would beginning this first truth. Jesus welcomes the worst of sinners. Is that what you expected? Jesus welcomes the worst of sinners? Well, watch what happens. Verse 29 of Matthew 15 records, Jesus went on from there, right? He's just taken, healed, right? The, the woman's daughter there, the Canaanite woman. That story's just finished unfolding. So Jesus leaves there and he walks beside the Sea of Galilee. Now Mark 7 is recording the same account. And he says that Jesus went to, um, to the Decapolis, right? And that literally indicates 10 cities. That's a clearly Gentile region. So the, the reality is when we look at this Sea of Galilee... What we begin to find out is, is that guess what? He's going intentionally into Gentile territory. And he went up on the mountain and he sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. This is a big moment. It's a big moment in Matthew's gospel. But if we understand a little bit of the context, it's really a big moment for all of us. Right, I mean, because in Matthew 15, what we recorded there, verse 21, is that Jesus kind of snuck away. He was kind of like he and the disciples were going on a retreat. And then came that woman, like, knocking the door. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Like, like, dude, tell her to go away. We're on a retreat. And now, like, Jesus kind of withdrew, right, up this mountainside, seemingly maybe alone, to have a few moments with the disciples. But, man, when he enters this region, all of a sudden, all of these people start flocking to him. And we ask this moment, what is God going to do? Right, and look what happens. They began to, to place them at his feet. Notice that. And here's what's, here's what's major. You have to, listen, if you don't get this today, you'll not understand all that God's doing in this text and what Matthew's wanting to show us. Is that this isn't just anybody being placed at his feet. This is the worst of the worst. All right, so listen, think about this for a moment. Gentiles are the outcasts. They're the idolaters, right? They worship other gods. They are sexually immoral, right? They live for the here and now, the pleasure of this life, right? Listen, but it's not just that they're Gentiles. Notice what the text says about these people. He says they're lame, they're blind, they're crippled, they're mute, and then many others. Why is that important? Because if you remember back in John 9, there's this moment, right, where this man who's been blind from birth And the disciples ask this paramount question, right, that tells us a lot about the culture in that day and time. And they say this, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was what? Born blind. Why? Because for them and for those people in that culture, the assumption is this. If something's gone wrong in your life or you were born with some, some, some type of disease or something wrong was with you, it was because you or your parents had sinned. Who's at Jesus' feet? The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. And they not only are those people, they're Gentiles. This is like the worst of the worst. This is the most outcast for the Jewish people of any group you could define, right? I mean, this, this is, these are the ultimate outcasts. And they're at his feet. And so we would have to ask the question, what will Jesus do? But notice what it says. He doesn't send them away. The text says, in fact, instead he welcomes them. Right? He invites them to come and be there at his feet. 
Imagine for a moment, right, that you've gone on vacation and you and your spouse finally make it into the room and, and you're putting your bags down for a moment. You get on the bed and you're like, man, I can't wait for this week. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And you're like, I'll get it. And you go and you crack open that door. And to your amazement, there's one of your coworkers, but not just any coworker, like the most annoying coworker ever. And they're like, hey, I thought that was you. I saw in the lobby at a distance and, and I found out the front desk where your room was. And dude, we are just so psyched that you guys are here. We're going to have so much fun this week, right? We've already got two, two, two other chairs reserved for you guys at the pool. We'll see you down there in a minute, right? I, I don't know about you, but it's possible, right? Not, not that this was a church member, of course. I might tell him, like, babe, pack the bags. We're going somewhere else, right? The reality is, right, we, we would all have that moment of like, oh, man, this is kind of ruining what we had hoped for. That's the very point. Jesus and the disciples are up on the mountain. Like, this should be a moment of just them hanging out. That Canaanite woman's already interrupted their, like, their, their, their little time away. And now all these people come, and it's these people, that kind of people, that are there. It's a moment of just unbelievable grace as he welcomes the worst of sinners. Listen, as a church, as we prepare to begin running our buses next Sunday morning, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves, this is God's church, not our church. Let's prepare to welcome the children and youth in, to invite them to sit with you, to invite them to come into the Sunday school class with you and enjoy that time, to give them grace when they run in the hallway or break an unwritten church rule. Welcoming the listen might mean some kind of inconvenience for you. You may walk and your seat next week may be occupied and they don't even know it. Don't give them the stink eye. Come on, welcome them, right? This is a time for us to lay our preferences down, to welcome whoever God sends. Why? Because that's how God welcomes us. You see, that's why we're different people here. It's not because we're good people or we figured out some perfect way to do it. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are new creation people and we love because God lives inside of us. And He welcomes the worst of sinners. He welcomes us. So in response to a God that welcomes us like that, we now welcome others like that. So again, we ask that question, How will God treat the worst of sinners? Well, he welcomes them. But secondly, listen, what happens next? Jesus heals the worst of sinners. Not as he welcome them, he is healing these people. Back to the text, look what happens. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So that, here's the response, the crowd, listen what happens. They wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, right? Some texts may say they were amazed. The crippled were healthy. The lame were walking. The blind were seen. And watch what they do. They glorified the God of Israel. They began to praise the God of Israel. It's an amazing moment, right? I mean, again, given the context, we have to ask if what he has done just for this one woman, right? If he, if he, he was willing to heal her daughter, but now look what he's doing on a much bigger scale. He is welcoming. He's healing. He's opening the door to the Gentiles. The kingdom of God is not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. This is a ultimate moment. Why? Because God is opening the door to sinners. We might say today he's opening the door to us. What a moment. 
It's an announcement by Jesus that my kingdom is not what you think. It comes to those who you think don't fit. That's exactly what he does. He heals the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. This is a Gentile crowd that's just left wondering in amazement. Right? And notice what it says. Matthew says they began to glorify. And this is a specific statement. The God of Israel. Which again tells us this is a Gentile crowd. But what's happening here is important. This statement, this wonder, this amazement. What's happening with these healings and the, the glorification of the God of Israel. Why? Because this is the exact thing that the prophet Isaiah had said would happen. Look if you would just for a moment. The 29th chapter of Isaiah beginning in the 18th verse. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Fast forward to verse 23 here in Isaiah 29. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of who? The God of Israel. Matthew saying what? was prophesied in the 29th chapter is now taking place right before your eyes. Yes, there's a moment in which there's a physical healing that's happening here. Yes, the deaf are hearing, the eyes of the blind, the lame are walking, just like Matthew, Isaiah prophesied. But there's something greater. There's something greater than just physical healing that Isaiah is looking forward to. He's speaking of a spiritual inability to hear the word of God. A spiritual blindness because of our sinful hearts and the work of Satan, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. But he wants you to know there's going to come a day when those walking in darkness will see a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, on them has light shone. It's great grace, great mercy. This is Matthew saying to all of us, the kingdom of God is open to whomever will repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Isaiah says that when that day comes, they will, all nations will glorify the God of Israel. And Matthew says, guys, look and see, that's exactly what's happening. Jesus must be the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. For a moment, maybe consider how sick you truly are spiritually. The reality is our hearts are terminally sick with sin. There is no rescue. There is no remedy in and of yourself. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card just by coming to church or doing good things or running the bus or teaching a class or singing a song or, or whatever it may be. The only hope is that there is a God who heals sinners, even the worst of them. And how does he do it? By coming and becoming flesh, living a sinless life, and then going on the cross and suffering the wrath of God in your place. He takes God's judgment for you. He is your substitute on the cross, dying, bearing the wrath and judgment of God that you could be forgiven, that you could be redeemed. What a moment. Listen, just like these people who stand in awe and give glory to the God of Israel, that's the reason why we sing in this place, isn't it? I mean, that's why we are rejoicing in this place, isn't it? That's why at the end of the services, we give you an opportunity to, to give praise to God. Why? Because we too were once blind, but now we see. We too were once lost, but now we're what, church? We're found. As a church, we sing and rejoice because we know that Jesus heals the worst of sinners. Jesus heals people like us. And those who have been healed... Those who have seen my eyes have beheld the glory of God. They can't help but sing and worship and love 
and show the goodness and kindness that God has shown unto them. So today, listen, church, we are running toward Jesus, not away from him, right? Because the tendency is when you see your sin, you want to run away from God because you know that will bring judgment. But the good news is as you look under the cross, you see the Son of God dying in your place. And this text reminds us that God loves and welcomes and is willing to heal the worst of sinners. What a moment. Thirdly, we see from this text that, guess what? Jesus has compassion on the worst of sinners. So not only does he welcome them, not only does he heal them, thirdly, we see that Jesus has compassion on the worst of sinners. This text, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Again, as I was studying this week, man, just that word compassion just seemed to almost like float up from the text. It was just glowing there. The, the word compassion, it comes from a Latin word indicating to suffer with. But it's also been a sense of there's a deep sympathy, a sorrow accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that pain or remove its cause. There's a sense in which not only do I feel sorry, not only is I hurt for these people, but I want to do something about it. That's what this text is saying. There is a compassion that is acting. Right, notice what Jesus' compassion is. I have compassion on the crowd. Listen to what he says. They've been with me three days. They have. He has compassion because they have nothing to eat. He has compassion because he realizes they are hungry. He has compassion because it says that they might faint, right? They are weak. He sees the need and desires to meet it. Notice what it says here further with this. He says to them, I am unwilling He's unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. The compassionate act is clearly an act of the will. This is God's heart being revealed to us. Hallelujah that our God is compassionate to sinners, even the worst of them. What good news. For some of you, though, like from the very beginning, when when I said that statement, the worst of sinners, for some of you, your mind started flipping pages and, and, and... even if you didn't know exactly where it was, you're, you're thinking, hey, I, I've heard those words before. Those are biblical words. Those are words that Paul wrote to Timothy. Those are words from 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Those are words that maybe if you're listening on our Christmas Eve service, you heard. Paul said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what? I'm chief. I'm the foremost. I'm the worst. Right? You see it there. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. That's what Paul says. Why? Why did he do this? Verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1 says, But I receive mercy for this reason. Paul says, you want to know why God would save someone like me? He says, That in me, as the foremost, as the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to all those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, listen, you want to know why this mercy came to me? The worst of sinners. It was God displaying that perfect patience. I became an example that Paul says to everyone. You think God won't forgive you? You think what you've done? I persecuted the church. I'm the worst. 
And God showed grace to someone like me. You think He won't forgive you for what you've done, where you've been, what you've seen, what you've participated in? Paul says, that's why Jesus came. To save the worst of sinners. No one here is too far gone. None of us have done more than the mercy and grace of God can overcome. Let it remind us that those in our family, those amongst our friends, they too are not too great of sinners. God can save them too, church. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. God can save the worst of sinners. So Jesus welcomes, He heals, He shows compassion on the worst of sinners. But I think one thing that's beautiful is that he doesn't do it like maybe I might be tempted to do it. I don't know if you've ever had moments where somebody was just asking for money, whether it was on the phone or maybe just in person, and you just got that awkward place, you finally just like gave them money so they would leave. You ever been there? We might be tempted to think that Jesus would just heal them and like kiss him out of here already. And then watch what the text says. I think it brings this truth to us. Jesus spends time with the worst of sinners. I, I, I don't know about you, but like when I see Jesus, I just begin to see like I, I, I don't, my life doesn't reflect him so often. It just it moves me to a place of God, just change my heart. I want to be more like Christ. I don't want people to be interruptions. I don't want to grow annoyed by people so easily just to dismiss them or get them on their way or what do they need. He spends time with them. Look what the text said again. We, we've already read it, but listen to it again. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now what? They've been with me three days. Three days. Remember Jesus' ministry is about three years. It's a short time, right? And here is Jesus intentionally using his time to be with sinners. The worst of them. The outcast of the outcast. Hanging out with people that nobody else would give a time of day to. How amazing is that? That the king of kings would spend time alone with sinners, isn't it? I'm not super musical, right? But, but this illustration just struck me as I read it um, a while back. And I thought, man, there's a sermon at some point. That's going to just absolutely land well. And I think it's today. Allison X, she writes an article for the PBS documentary series called Nova. And she spoke about the differences between classical and jazz musicians and their approach to music. And she says this, and I just want to quote it for her. She says, in music, accidentals are musical pitches. Rather, they are musical glitches that don't belong to the scale or mode currently in use. A more sensible name for these rogue, name, these rogue notes would be purposefuls. Since they've always written into a piece for a precise reason. In classical, jazz, and any other genre, accidentals subvert the listener's expectations on purpose. The coolest thing about accidentals is that they bust out of musical boundaries in the most unapologetic way. Music emphasizes these notes. They dramatize their presence as if to say, yes, you heard me correctly. Might this text today be an accidental note? Or might we better say that God is directing the orchestra to play an accidental, purposeful note to say to everyone, to the Jewish audience, Jesus to his disciples, I'm opening up the kingdom to whosoever will may come, to whoever will repent and believe upon my son. God is opening wide the door, the table 
to all who will come to God through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is an unbelievable moment where the Son of God has spent three days with the worst of sinners. I share that. Why? Because for some of you, you feel so unworthy because of what you've done. You feel like that maybe God just wouldn't ever really want a close relationship with somebody like you. I mean, like, yeah, of course he wants to spend time with the pastor or the missionary or that godly senior adult man or woman in this room that you, you just think, man, they're just unbelievable. And I, I'm just like, it's so far at the back of the line. But this text says to us that Jesus not only welcomes sinners for a moment, but he intentionally spends time with them. In light of this, I, I want to encourage you to set aside daily time alone with the Lord. To realize that there's a God who actually wants to spend time with you. There's a God who loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. I want you today to experience that there is a God who loves the worst of sinners. There's a God who redeems them. There's a God who doesn't brush them to the side. Who doesn't say you're discarded goods or you're unworthy because of what you've done or where you've been or how the culture views you. I love you so much that I would send my very own son, God says, because I love the world. And today, if you would believe on him, you shall not what church? perish but have what everlasting life i want to encourage you to schedule some purposefuls in your day to read to pray to be alone with the lord because he loves you and he desires to spend time alone even with the worst of sinners fifth and last we run to christ because he cares for the physical needs of the worst of sinners We've seen him welcome, we've seen him heal, we've seen him show compassion, right? We've seen his time alone, just spending time, and now fifth, we see that he actually cares for their physical needs of the worst of sinners. Listen to this, this is familiar text to you. And the disciples said to him, right, he asked them that question in verse 32, right? He says, that I've been with them three days, they have nothing to eat, I don't want to send them away, that they might faint on the way, they're going to be weak. And look what he says further, verse 33. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men. That doesn't even include the women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is just practical ministry, isn't it? People are hungry, so what? Feed them, right? Guess what? Next Sunday, starting next Sunday from 8.30 to 8.45, any of you that are High school age and below, we're, we're going to have breakfast in the gym, right? We're going to be running our buses, but we want to invite you, right? I, I don't know, some of you, maybe it's hectic getting things ready in the mornings, right? I mean, just it, it is, right? Trying to get things together and run here and there. Guess what? We want to invite you to come and eat breakfast. And we're going to be running the buses, and, and there's going to be kiddos in there coming to eat. Why? Because we realize this, this truth, and many of you know it. There are hungry kids right here in Greensburg, KY. Especially on weekends when there's no school, right? I mean, there's a long time after Friday of getting out of school to Sunday morning. And again, many of you have been involved in these ministries. You know, you, you've seen firsthand, you know faces and names. 
But we want to be intentional. So starting next week, as we run those buses, we're going to be feeding breakfast. And we want to invite you. Listen, it's not just, oh, that's for them. Listen, we want to make sure it's us, right? It's not them. This is church kids. This is those kids. This is us. This, this, is, this is because we're all sinners, right? And so if he welcomes sinners, then that doesn't mean like, well, there's a good pile of sinners and there's these pile of sinners. No, the kingdom is for whomever will come and repent and believe on the Son, He must drive us to the church who our Savior is, beloved. It must move our hearts. But this is a moment bigger than just meeting physical needs, as great as that is. Something great is happening here. Something greater than just meeting those physical needs. You see, back in Matthew 14, when Jesus fed the 5,000, and again, that didn't include women and children, that fit. Why? Because that was Jewish people. That was the Jewish audience. That was the people, right, they thought, well, of course God's going to feed them, right? The disciples had to think, well, of course, right? I mean, this looks forward to the the messianic banquet when we're in heaven and, and everybody's invited around the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But this in Matthew 15, these aren't Jewish people. I mean, like. When, when you think back to Exodus 16 and the people in the wilderness, they have no food to eat. And Moses is there and he prays and, and God rains down that man. And for 40 years, verse 35 says, the people of Israel ate the manna. Exodus 16, 35. But now, Jesus is doing that same thing for the unclean, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the worst of sinners. I mean, for a moment, the, the Jewish audience, again, remember, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, these disciples are Jewish. They must be thinking, that's our story. You're making it part. You're, you're bringing them into our story. That's our bread. That's our God. You're going to take our bread? You're going to do for what the great story that you fed your people in the wilderness, bread from heaven? You're going to feed that to them? I mean, it's, this is different. This is going to your biggest rival and feeding them the pregame meal. I mean, like, the Jewish people may have thought, okay, we let that one lady in. That, that, we let that Canaanite woman in, her daughter. We'll let them in. But we are not opening up the door to the rest of those dogs. And then the Son of God steps forth and says, You have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Even under the church today, he may have to say, Get behind me. I will reach into the darkest of places and redeem them. Invite them to come and be a part of my table. It's, it's just an amazing moment. God inviting all the neighborhood bullies over for dinner. The mean girls at the high school table who talk about everybody. He's asking them if they want to come and sit at his table. I don't know if you've ever had a, a table or been a part of a table, right, where they, they can separate them out and they, they can put a leaf or leaves in there to kind of make that table bigger. This is like that moment where, where Jesus says, guys, got to separate the table. And he comes in packing this big leaf that on it's inscribed Gentiles. And he places it right there in the center of the table. And he says, now bring it back together. What a moment this is. Might this remind us that we aren't in control of who God invites to the table? 
we aren't in control of God's authority. Thus, as a church, we have to guard against looking for certain kinds of people. Like we really are excited when those people show up because they look like us or they have influence in the community or they're a young family or whatever we're after. Our job, church, listen, is to be faithful to distribute the bread to whomever God invites to the table. We must be faithful. Why? Because that's who our God is. To the church today, I want to caution us after hearing this last part. If our goal is simply just to feed people, just to help pay bills or run programs and not share the gospel, we've missed the point of what's happening here. This story is to show us how great the love of God truly is, no matter who you are or where you come from. Thus, as a church, we must be intentional to take the gospel to every home. We must be intentional not just to feed them the bread that will perish, but Jesus there in John 6, after they've had this great feeding, the people come and he says, you come to me because you want the bread that perishes. I'll give you the bread of eternal life. You see, the true bread that everyone needs, it's, listen, no matter how many breakfasts we do or lunches or dinners or how many programs, things that we do here, if we do not introduce them and show them the blessed and only Christ, they will perish with a full belly and go straight to hell. Beloved, they and we need something more. We need the true bread from heaven, the Son of God. We need Him to cover our sins that we can stand before God and be at peace. It's this hope of the gospel. So let this text today refocus us. Yes, we are absolutely going to be intentional to meet physical and real needs. And often that is a first step to sharing the gospel. I don't know about you, but it's hard to listen and pay attention when you're hungry. Right? Some of you get that way every Sunday morning. I can see it. Like, come on, preach. I'm hungry. Right? Well, bring some nabs with you. Right? But listen, the, the truth is, listen. We have to have our eyes open again today to how big God's table is. How important it is that everyone hears the truth that Jesus came in the world to save sinners, even the worst of them. Today, some of you in this room may feel like, you know what, somebody in here has to be the worst of sinners. It's mathematically, you're just thinking that, right? Like if there's somebody in this room that mathematically has to have done the worst of the worst and they just got so many strikes against them, you, you might feel like that's me. The truth is, is that there is a God who dies for the worst of sinners. There's a God who loves the worst of sinners. There's a God who loves you. And so much so that he sent his only son, the true bread, and that if you would eat of his flesh, that means you would put your faith and trust. You would repent, turning from your sinful way of life by the power of the Holy Spirit to worship the one true God, leaving behind the worship of all these other things, worshiping the one true God. If you will feast on him, beloved, you will be satisfied forever and welcomed into God's eternal table. The only way to come to God's table is for Christ to purchase your ticket Those seats are not free. Yes, they're free to us by grace through faith, but it costs the Son of God His own life. Therefore, if you would come to the table today, I invite you to come by faith, repentance and faith. As we close, hear the words of the 1759 hymn. Come, you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, love, and power. 
Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. I will rise and go to Jesus. He will save me from my sin. By the riches of His merit, there is joy and life in Him. I invite you, one and all, to rise and come to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank You that You came even for the worst of sinners. Father, I pray now for those who do not know You, God, that You would speak by the power of Your Word through the Holy Spirit. For the church today, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church and that we would show love and grace and mercy, even a seat at the table to the worst of sinners, not excusing their sin, not diminishing it, no, always pointing them to Christ, but in love, God, let us welcome them to come and see the Savior that we know. We love you, Father. We pray this for the glory of the God of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.